Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying, al- crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Acts 8, 4 through 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I'm a huge baseball fan, as many of you know, and uh, today the players are finally reporting for spring training after three months of lockout. And uh, the lockout is now created this kind of wild spring training because there's 200 players uh, in Major League Baseball that don't have contracts yet, and they're supposed to report today. And so it's this mad scramble for teams to, to sign all these unsigned players. And one of those players that is still unsigned uh, is a shortstop who played for the Houston Astros, Carlos Correa. And uh, he's been with the Astros since 2015. He's a free agent now. And in 2017, he was part of the Astros team that was found guilty of cheating. And so they cheated and stole the World Series from the Dodgers. Boo! (laughs) Terrible, right? Well, there's been rumors that the Dodgers might be interested in signing him as a free agent. Imagine that. What would it look like to have a guy who's been considered to be the enemy who stole your World Series and go to your team? be in your clubhouse? Could there be unity on that team? Well, imagine what it would be like to have enemies of a thousand years. We can't even imagine that. Enemies of a thousand years. That was the situation between the Israelites and the Samaritans. Imagine trying to have unity with those two groups. Uh, They despised each other. Uh, The the, uh, Samaritans were Jewish people who had married Gentiles. And in marrying those Gentiles, it became this kind of mixed race. And so the Jewish people thought, oh, you've polluted the blood of the patriarchs. And with that mixed race, also there became mixed belief. So of the 39 books of the Old Testament, the Samaritans rejected 34 of those books. And so the Jewish people thought, you've mixed our race, you've abandoned all the prophets and the history, and they saw them as enemies. And so there was great despising uh, on both sides. And uh, we see it 
Um, when Jesus is uh, passing through Samaria and he comes to a well and he meets a woman there, and uh, we have this from John 4, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Why? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There was a, um, a saying in Israel that if you were to come across a Samaritan, you should leave the road and walk inside a ditch so that your shadows don't touch. That's the level of despisement. Jesus tells another story, one of the most famous stories, parables that he tells, the Good Samaritan. And in that story, he makes the Samaritan the hero, the ideal neighbor, which was scandalous, telling that story to Israelites. What? The Samaritan's the hero? How could you do that, Jesus, right? Because there was such despisement between those two groups. But we see that Jesus has a heart for the Samaritans. He has a heart for Samaria. And we saw it right at the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says to his disciples before he's about to ascend into heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, great, and Samaria, what? Did Jesus just say Samaria? And to the end of the earth. And so this is the theme verse of our series in Acts. Jesus is continuing his mission. It starts in Jerusalem and Judea, Jewish territory, and then it moves out. And so today's text, we see it moving out now into first Samaria, and then the rest of the world. And we are part of that mission still today. Uh, I was looking at some statistics this week. Here is the global dispersion of Christians. 25% of Christians live in Central and South America. 22% of the global Christian population lives in Africa, 15% lives in Asia, and that is growing very fast. 12% of Christians are living in North America, and 25% in Europe. Is that surprising to you? Right? Right? All right, Marisa, you got a question. Christians that follow Jesus. (laughs) So uh, that would be Protestants and Catholics. Yeah. Good question. All right, so there is the global dispersion of Christians. And so uh, what this shows us is that Christianity does not belong to one culture. It does not belong to one race. And it's been that way since its inception, as we see here in the book of Acts. And so just to kind of give us a little recap of where we've been, uh, 
the church starts off taking uh, starts taking off in Jerusalem. It's exploding there. We saw that uh, it started with 120 followers of Jesus and explodes to thousands in just days. We saw last week that uh, Stephen, at the height of that, was stoned. He was martyred. And following that, Saul then ravages the church. He goes from house to house, arresting people, and people are being killed. And so what happens is the church flees Jerusalem. They scatter, but the apostles stay. So the leadership, the professional guys, stay in Jerusalem. Everybody else, all the laity, leaves. They scatter. And what happens when they scatter is the church spreads. The church grows not by the professionals spreading it, the apostles, but the lay people, just everyday people, everyday people, and that is still how the church grows. Regular people talking about Jesus. It grows as the world witnesses the transformation of everyday people by the Spirit of God in those who profess faith. So that brings us to Philip. Philip was one of these lay people, an everyday guy. He is not an apostle. And so he had been chosen to serve with Stephen, and Philip was a Hellenist. And so that means that he spoke Greek. He did not speak Hebrew. And on his own accord, as everyone is fleeing, he goes into enemy territory. He goes to Samaria. And again, it's not the apostles going, okay, we've got an assignment for you, Philip. Here's where we want you to go. He just goes on his own accord. They're scattering, and he goes, you know what? I'm going to go to Samaria, and I'm going to talk about Jesus there. Pretty bold, right? Uh, Let's take a look at uh, verses 4 and 5. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. He doesn't go there and proclaim the temple. He doesn't go there and proclaim the law. He doesn't go and proclaim a philosophy. What he proclaims is a person. He goes and he proclaims Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished for us. And that is Christianity. That is good news. When we proclaim Christ, we start with what he has done, not with what we have to do, that he's done it all in our place. That is so freeing. That is so good that we can be accepted by God because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And that is what Philip talks about when he goes. He proclaims Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected, him ascended into heaven and reigning now. What's his method? Well, I think there's a good 
lesson in evangelism for us in this text. He proclaimed, which meant that he spoke, right? He spoke words of truth. He delivered the gospel message of Jesus. But what else did he do? Let's take a look at verse 7. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Now we can read this and see, okay, well, that's all miraculous here, sure. What does that have to do with us? But what Philip is doing is he's addressing real needs of the people. He's addressing spiritual needs and physical needs. There are two tendencies that uh, the people often have. One is to over-spiritualize, and the other is to under-spiritualize. Over-spiritualizing looks like this. Everything's the devil's fault. Where's my keys? The devil took them, right? Where are, right? Everything is spiritual. That's over-spiritualizing. But the opposite error is under-spiritualizing, to say, you know what, all there is is the material world. All there is is science, reason, and it's to deny the spiritual. But what's amazing here is that Philip addresses both. He goes, you know, there's some people oppressed, spiritually oppressed, and he heals them. Oh, and look over here. There's some people with some real physical needs. They're paralyzed. They're lame. They can't walk, and he heals them. He doesn't lump them all together, but he sees them both, and he brings about healing for both in the name of Jesus. And so his deeds and his words go together, and that is a good lesson for us. Our words need to be uh, accompanied by our deeds, and if we do that, then that brings a listening ear. Think about it personally. At your job, in your neighborhood, in your family, if everyone thinks you're arrogant, you're selfish, you're prideful, you're self-righteous, do they want to listen to you about anything? No, right? What about that also corporately for the church? If the reputation of the church is that it's arrogant, that it's selfish, prideful, self-righteous. Will people want to come and listen? No. And that is why at New Creation, we feed homeless families. We get Christmas presents for kids at Colfax Elementary School that can't afford them. We cook hamburgers at their World Fair. That's why we work with Olive Crest and we serve families in our community who are doing foster care. And I'll just kind of give you my big vision. You've heard me talk about this before. But imagine over the course of the next two decades that we could plant several churches in this city. And those churches plant churches. And we come up with a network of churches that are all engaged in the foster care system. And over maybe a couple decades... There's no more issues with foster care. Every child has a loving home. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
right? And what would the reputation of the church be if we were to do that? At worst case, I think our city would say, you know what? I may not believe what they believe, but boy, I sure am glad they're here, right? But the truth is this, that if our word and our deeds go together, that will bring a listening ear. So when this happened in Samaria, there was joy in the city. There wasn't just joy for uh, the Christians, but joy for the whole city. The whole city flourished. And you'll find that on our mission statement of New Creation Church, that we want to see Los Angeles flourish. We want to see joy pervade in the city. All right, so let's go to uh, our next verse. We're going to go to uh, verse 9 here. And so uh, next kind of stop in uh, Philip's journey. Uh, There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. All right, so Simon the magician. This is not uh, a guy who does card tricks at children's parties. Uh, This is someone who's involved in the occult. Simon is a sorcerer. And Philip comes to town, he comes to Samaria, and Simon believes. The people of Samaria believe the gospel of Jesus, even though Simon has been there, they've been drawn to him, but Philip comes and presents something else, and they believe Philip. They come to faith, they're baptized, and Simon joins them. He has belief too, and he is baptized as well. And so the former magician is amazed at what he sees Philip doing, these great signs and wonders all in the name of Jesus. And what's interesting here is that Philip, when we compare Philip with Simon, Philip is not proclaiming his own name. He doesn't come in as Philip the Great, right? But he is Philip, a disciple of Jesus, the divine Messiah. And so the apostles back in Jerusalem, they hear everything that's going on in Samaria, and they say, okay, we got to send somebody down to witness this. And so they send Peter and John And so Peter and John, they go to Samaria, they go to check it out, they get there, they see all that's happened, and they pray that the Holy Spirit would fall on the people of Samaria, which had not yet happened. And I want to point out that this is a unique situation. Uh, In the rest of the book of Acts, we will see whenever there is belief, the Spirit falls upon those with belief. But here, there's, there's a gap. They believe they've been baptized, uh, but no spirit yet. They haven't had the Holy Spirit poured out on them. Um, we're not told why. We're not given a direct answer, but here is the outcome. The Jewish people and the Samaritans have hated each other, as we've talked about. So how easy would it have been for them to divide? Let's just have two different 
churches, right? Yet the Spirit comes upon the Samaritans when the apostles from Jerusalem arrive, which signifies unity. We are one. We are all one church. This is not going to be two separate churches. This is going to be one church. And so these divided people would become one united people. Hostile enemies become brothers and sisters. And so Peter and John lay hands on them and pray, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now Simon's response, Simon the magician, he sees this and he's like, whoa, give me that power. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to lay hands on people and then they they get the spirit. Here's some money. Can I pay for that? How How do I get that power? That's how it used to work in his days of sorcery and magic. You want to learn sorcery? You want to learn a new trick? You had to pay money for it. Simon wanted spiritual powers, but he wanted them for the wrong reasons. He sought to gain them by the wrong method. And so Peter sees this, and maybe he's sad, maybe he's angry, maybe he's disappointed, but he says to Simon, may your money die with you. You thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. But it is a gift. It's not something you can buy. It's the gift of God that comes by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You can only receive it by faith, which is also a gift. And that is the grace of God. It's gift upon gift. And so Peter tells Simon to repent of this this wickedness. He tells him, you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of sin. Essentially, you are far from God when you think you can buy this. You haven't realized that it is God's gift for you. And so Peter tells him, repent. Turn back to God. But Simon's response is, pray for me that God's judgment won't come upon me. And that's not repentance. It's not acknowledging his wrong and asking for forgiveness. Rather, his plea is, spare me from the consequence. It's not repentance. And so Peter and John, they head back to Jerusalem, and they keep preaching in these Samaritan villages along the way. An angel speaks to Philip, And he tells him to head south toward Gaza, toward the desert. Let's take a look at verse 27. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So Philip meets this Ethiopian, most likely a black African, He was a eunuch, which means that he had been castrated. So here's how this works. If you 
were not of the royal family, but you were being groomed for royal service, you were castrated. And so here's Philip again, approaching someone by the power of God's Spirit who could not be any more different from him. He was racially different. He was from the outermost parts of the known world. He'd have been considered, oh, that's barbarian territory. He was sexually altered. And the Spirit of God says, Philip, go talk to that guy. Go talk to him. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I have felt strong urging of God to do things that move me out of my comfort zone. So if the Spirit of God just tells you things you want to hear, it may not be the Spirit of God talking to you. However, if the Spirit of God is moving you outside your comfort zone to engage people different from you, that's probably a good sign. It's the Spirit of God. So we have this eunuch in his chariot. He's returning to Ethiopia from his visit to Jerusalem. And so uh, he went there, he went to Jerusalem to worship, which means, uh, which means that he was, at the very least, a God-fearer and maybe a Jewish convert. And so he's sitting in his chariot, and he's reading through the scroll of Isaiah. Now, probably when most of us read, we read silently, right? But uh, silent reading was not practiced until the Middle Ages, So prior to that, if you were reading, you were reading out loud. And so Philip doesn't have to ask him, hey, what you reading? He hears what he's reading. He hears that the eunuch is reading the words of the prophet. Let's take a look at their encounter. Verses 29 to 31. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. All right, so the Spirit of God tells Philip to go join this eunuch in his chariot, and so Philip runs. We should all be so eager to listen to the voice of the Spirit. But his running is not just enthusiasm, because the chariot is moving. It's probably an ox-drawn chariot, moving slightly faster than a walk. And so Philip's got to catch up to it, right? So the eunuch's in the chariot, and Philip's like, hey, I hear you reading Isaiah. You know what it means? How much more awkward could that be, right? That's what you want me to go do? Like, gosh, okay. So he does it. And the eunuch invites him in. He says, yeah, come on up. Hop in the chariot with me. What are you reading here? Well, he's reading from Isaiah 53. Let's take a look at verses 32 and 33 to see the quote. 
Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch then asks a question. He says, was this prophet talking um, about himself or about someone else? And that opens the window. That question opens the window into a great conversation. Philip can then start talking about the good news of Jesus, beginning with this scripture. But it doesn't even matter that it's this scripture because the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus himself said so on the road to Emmaus. There he teaches the two disciples how the law and the prophets all point to him. And so this text is identifying with Jesus. It's saying Jesus is like a sheep. He was a sacrificial animal, like a sacrificial animal, who was innocent, without sin, and willingly was sacrificed for our sins. He didn't try to defend himself, but he went to the cross quietly. And Jesus experiences ultimate humiliation as he is publicly tortured and killed. Now, the eunuch had just been In Jerusalem. And as a eunuch, he knew something about humiliation, didn't he? And just coming out of Jerusalem, he also knew something about humiliation because a eunuch was not allowed to enter the temple. He wasn't allowed to enter into the presence of God enter into the dwelling place of God. But Philip had good news. He told him, Jesus had suffered humiliation for you, Ethiopian eunuch, so that you can now dwell with God. And so as belief comes over the eunuch, the Spirit of God comes upon him and dwells with him. He's no longer denied access to the presence of God. And he and Philip become brothers, brothers in the faith. And so what does the eunuch do? He asks to be marked as part of the family. And so here we have also a unique situation, a private baptism. And here's why. Because where the eunuch is going, there is no church. He's going to be the beginning. So there's no church for him to be baptized in at his home. And so Philip baptizes him there as the first Ethiopian. Let's take a look at verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So the chariot stops. And Philip and the eunuch go down to the water, and Philip, his brother in the faith, baptizes the eunuch. And as they come up out of the water, the Spirit of God does something miraculous. He carries Philip off to another place. 
But the eunuch realizes that he's gone and he just goes along rejoicing. I have Jesus now. What an incredible story of Jesus at work from his heavenly throne. And so what do you find most miraculous in this story? Maybe it's Philip's boldness to enter into enemy territory and proclaim good news. That's miraculous. That's from the Spirit of God. Maybe it's uh, the Samaritan people listening to Philip over Simon the magician. That is miraculous. That is the Spirit of God. Maybe you find it the Samaritan people listening to Philip proclaim, uh, proclaim Christ and believing it. That is from the Spirit of God. Maybe you find it the unity between Christian Samaritans, uh, Christian Samaritans and Israelite Samaritans. That is of the Spirit of God. It's miraculous. Maybe you find it the angel telling Philip, hey, go south. Maybe you find the Spirit of God telling Philip to go talk to an African eunuch about Jesus. All of it is miraculous. All of it is the Spirit of God. Maybe you find it in the African eunuch coming to faith and requesting to be baptized. Maybe you find it in Philip being transported to a different location to keep on preaching, to keep on going. That is all the result of Jesus reigning and ruling from heaven by his spirit. It's all equally miraculous. It's all the power of the spirit of God being poured out over his people and it brings about community. It brings about racial reconciliation and it transcends culture. And so church, I wanna leave us with these few things as uh, we close here. I wanna remind you of this. The risen Lord Jesus is at work from his heavenly throne, expanding his kingdom. Two, the Christian faith at its beginning brings about unity where there is division. It transcends any one culture and any one race of people. So what does that look like for us to bring about unity where there is division? The Spirit of God needs to go to work there. Three, as ambassadors of the living Christ filled with the Spirit, we are to engage the, uh, the world in word and deed. We are to share our faith accompanied by deeds, tending to the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual needs of those around us, both as a church together and individually as we are scattered throughout the week. And just as God's people are scattered in chapter 8, the church grows. Well, we are gathered every Sunday, and then we are scattered throughout the week so that the church can grow, so that we can serve Jesus, his kingdom in word and deed, empowered by the Spirit of God to do so. And lastly, what a Savior we have. The spotless perfect lamb whose blood was shed for us. Our salvation is a gift. It can't be earned. It can't be bought. It is to be received.
Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word today. Help us to receive it. Lord, it is your gift to us. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, both as a church and individuals, you would help us to proclaim in word and deed. Uh, Lord, that as we do that, that you would attract listeners. That you would bring about a willingness to, to listen to this message of good news as Christ is proclaimed. And so, Lord, scatter us this week. We thank you for gathering us today to feast together. Um, But, Lord, I pray that you scatter us this week, uh, each to our own ministry and our jobs and our families and our neighborhoods, and that you would give us boldness by your Spirit. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear your Spirit, to lead us to uncomfortable places uh, for your sake for your kingdom's sake. And Lord, help us to live this out because we have delighted in Jesus, that we know him, that we love him, and that we realize and have faith in what he's done on our behalf. And so it is in his name that we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.